millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. episode number 213 of real life ghost stories and to kick things off this week i need to say thanks to some of our newest patreon subscribers i would like to thank cara kathleen caroline edwards sarah b kales arundati kulkarni becky stevenson charmaine turnbull james brona b holly sokol kim weefer anth weeks caroline robinson luke bannon valeria lawrence Kelly Steitler, Slate Holmgren, Kayla Fye, Heather, Kendra McKay, and Joanne Bailey. Thank you so much for subscribing to the Patreon. I love you and appreciate you every single day. And our film review this week, our film review is Talk To Me. Talk To Me was released in 2022. It has 7.4 out of 10 on IMDb and 97% on Rotten Tomatoes. When a group of friends discover how to conjure spirits using an embalmed hand, they become hooked on the new thrill until one of them goes too far and unleashes terrifying supernatural forces. I had seen so much about this film on like TikTok, people were talking about it on the Facebook supergroup, on Twitter, everywhere. And I thought to myself, I feel like this is going to be a film that I'm going to watch and be disappointed with. And boy, was I wrong. So I absolutely loved the premise of this film. So it's not really just that they find an embalmed hand. So there is this embalmed hand and they have this little ritual that they do where they hold on to the hand and say, talk to me. And the person holding the hand will see the dead or a dead person, a deceased person. And then they say, I let you in. And that deceased person is able to speak through the person holding the hand. And there's all these rules around it. Like you can only hold the hand for something like uh, 90 seconds and then you have to let the hand go or else things will cross over onto the other side. And, And I really felt like it was a refreshing concept for a film. We've had in the general zeitgeist lots of these ideas about ritual, these games that teenagers play. Like if you guys would remember maybe 10 years ago, Charlie Charlie was a thing. And of course, there are other sort of rituals that teenagers do. It's like a rite of passage to stand in front of the mirror and say Bloody Mary three times. And I really liked that this was the basis of this film, except kind of modernised. And I do think often when movie makers are trying to portray the lives of teenagers, they often get it really wrong and it becomes sort of cringy. But I felt like the teenagers in this film were accurate to what I know of teenagers. And also it seemed exactly the type of thing that teenagers would do. So this terrifying power has been given to them. And what they do is they bring this terrifying power to parties 
or they all get together and they film each other going through this ritual and being possessed by spirits and put it up on Snapchat and they laugh at each other and they almost get that sense of invincibility and that sense of I am completely unable to be harmed by this because that's what teenagers do. You know, they film this ritual that they're doing, they forget how serious it is and there's a great sequence in the film where they're at this party and they're all taking it in turns to hold on to the embalmed hand and they're filming each other and it's almost like they're taking a drug. They become completely enraptured by this feeling of being taken over by spirits and by the fear and the anxiety and the nervousness that it it produces in them. And I, I felt like it was really believable. The acting is absolutely incredible in this film as well. You know, when they're in that state of all of them getting totally hooked on this feeling of being possessed by the spirits. It's like a fever pitch and it's wild and it's completely contagious. And I read like it was really believable. I enjoyed it. And you know, from the beginning, you know that inevitably somebody's going to take it too far and everything is going to go terribly wrong. But what isn't clear in this film is whether or not them taking it too far is really what the problem is or if the problem is something else something mental health related something that's specific to one of the characters you just don't really know and that sense of ambiguity I think is actually done really well there were of course bits about this film that I really struggled with firstly I say it almost every week in horror films I'm not a gore person I don't like horror films that are driven by gore and while I understand that in this film in particular the gore was necessary because it demonstrates how powerful this object is and what it can make people do. I found it very difficult to watch at times because of that particular reason. I'm not a fan of watching somebody try to rip their own eyeball out. You know, it doesn't do it for me. Just have to put it out there. There is also a scene with a dog and it's not a violent scene. Like nothing violent happens to the dog. But the scene with the dog made me want to curl up into a ball and just crawl inside myself and die. I couldn't even watch it and I understand again that was the whole point and it was a it was a, it was a point of interest in the film in terms of what this particular hand can make you do but it just made me want to gouge my own eyeballs out you know and I didn't even need a ritualistic scary hand to be able to do that what I do think the film was missing is that it didn't go into much detail about the backstory of the hand. So we get a kind of a rough outline of where the hand came from and the legend that surrounds the hand. And the film itself is quite short. So if you're somebody like me who has an attention span deficit, then it is probably um, a good one to watch because it's short and sweet and gets the job done. I did want to know, though, the background of the hand other cases that maybe involved the hand etc but I guess it leaves the door open for sequels and prequels to come out and you know what if they did come out I would be interested in watching them so it's a pretty short film review this week and I feel like if ritualistic hands are your thing you know the ability to bring back the dead and be possessed by the dead then this one is probably for you. It has enough emotionality to make the story believable. There's themes of grief and loss and secrets. And yeah, go for it. Watch it. I'm going to give this film four stars. So that's four stars for Talk To Me. 
One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Which brings us to our episode today. And our story today, as you can tell by the title, is all about Bodmin Moore and the wonderful Jamaica Inn. And I just want to say before I start that last year I was meant to visit the Jamaica Inn to do a vlog and I wasn't able to go in the end. But the owners of the Jamaica Inn were honestly the most accommodating, wonderful, generous, kind people that I could have had the pleasure of almost working with because they were so accommodating and brilliant. And I will get to the Jamaica Inn at some point to make a vlog. So keep an eye out for that. But let's get into our story today. And so the coach rumbled into Bodmin, grey and forbidding like the hills that cradled it. The man looked at her curiously. Jamaica Inn, he said. What would you be doing at the Jamaica Inn? That's no place for a girl. You must have made a mistake. Extract from Chapter 1, Jamaica Inn by Daphne de Maurier. The Jamaica Inn sits in the very heart of Bodmin Moor in Cornwall in England. Built in 1750 as a coaching inn, it has provided rest for weary travellers for the last 273 years. As well as being a haven for those wishing to escape the wilds of the moors after a long journey, the inn has long been associated with darker inclinations. It has been the site of smuggling operations, various criminal activities and is now the site of much paranormal activity. Bodmin Moor stretches across the centre of Cornwall in the southeast of England and is the subject of much of the county's folklore. It's home to acres upon acres of uncultivated moorland, exposed boggy ground, abandoned mines, remote houses and prehistoric stones. It is impossible to describe both the bleakness and the beauty of Bodmin. It is a vast barren landscape that seems to reflect the darkness of the soul while also being a place that is inviting, tempting, almost seductive. But the moors are dangerous. It is easy to get lost in the vast wilderness and it is easy to fall down a hole or get injured or, in the more extreme cases, get pixie-led and dragged deep into the underworld of the Fae. As you might imagine, for a place like this, there are many supernatural tales surrounding the moors, from ferocious beasts and sightings of phantom hitchhikers, to angry ghosts and pacts with the devil. No matter what you believe, what can be agreed upon is that Bodmin Moor is a great setting for any kind of ghost story, Real or imagined, the sheer wilderness of the place itself lends to tales of loneliness, fear, 
danger and the unknown. It would be impossible to talk about Bodmin Moor without talking about what is perhaps its most famous tale. The story of the Beast of Bodmin. And look, I'm a cat lover as you know, so it would be ridiculous to pass up the opportunity to wax lyrical about the story of a large, mysterious feline. You've probably heard of the Beast of Bodmin in some form or another. There are some stories that seem to transcend time and place and whirl around in the general human consciousness. Perhaps it is the fact that the Beast of Bodmin exists in a world that reflects its wildness, its secrecy and its ferocity. Over the years there have been reported sightings of the Beast of Bodmin, a phantom creature shaped like a gigantic cat with huge pointed fangs. People have photographed tracks of huge paw prints in the boggy ground as well as capturing images of large cats sitting on stone walls or prowling the moorland. A cursory Google of sightings of the Beast of Bodmin Moor will throw up many images that are very clearly heavily pixelated, zoomed in pictures of black house cats. But there are also various images and videos of cats that definitely seem to be exponentially larger than your average house cat. The supposed Beast of Bodmin was first officially spotted in 1983, but reports have flowed steadily since then. In the 90s, reports caused such a stir that they prompted an official investigation by the Agricultural Development Advisory Service. Their research found no evidence of any kind of big cat living on the moor, but in the late 90s, a small boy found the skull of a leopard lying on the banks of the river Foy, and the skull caused a stir. It was indeed a real leopard skull, but the Natural History Museum concluded that the skull was imported as part of a leopard skin rug. Despite the fact that there was a logical explanation for the skull at least, local people remained convinced that there was something large and predatory living on the moor. Livestock was often mauled and consumed and locals and tourists were seeing something that was not a domestic cat. According to the website Historic Mysteries, in 1998, video footage was released that clearly showed a big black cat that was nearly three and a half feet long. According to the experts, it is one of the best pieces of evidence that supports the existence of the wild cats in the Bodmin Moor. Then, in 2012, and at the other end of the United Kingdom, a man named John Robertson discovered the remains of a beast near a popular Scottish beauty spot. According to John, he and his wife, along with their dogs, were walking on a rural path in Cullen, Morrishire. During their walk, they saw the body of a giant cat. Initially, they found a number of dead birds in one place, and when they walked a little further, they came across the giant cat's dead body. It seemed like the giant cat had feasted on the seagulls and then fell down the cliff which led to its death. In July 2013, the Beast of Bodmin Moor was again spotted by Sid Yates, a retired salesman, at nine in the morning. According to Yates, the wild cat looked like a black Labrador. However, the creature had a longer tail and legs and a flat nose, so he believed that it was indeed not a dog, but a beast. In July 2015, a mysterious creature was spotted in a house's garden on the outskirts of Plymouth. The creature was spotted by Carol Desforges, an office worker. 
she saw the mysterious creature from her living room and tried taking a few pictures through her window. Initially, she thought it to be a fox. However, after seeing the picture she clicked, she wasn't convinced. In the year 2016, there have been several reports about the phantom cat roaming in a number of locations in North Cornwall. The reports of the sightings come from different holidaymakers in the area of Bodmin. So the sightings continue to come in thick and fast, and many local people and alien big cat enthusiasts still insist that there is something big, with lots of teeth, prowling on the moor. So what is it that these people are seeing? In 2017, the owner of Dartmoor Zoo, Benjamin Mee, revealed to the press that it was possible a shipment of pumas had been living in Bodmin Moor for the last 40 years. Mee explained that in 1978, the pumas were meant to arrive from the recently closed Plymouth Zoo. However, the pumas never arrived in Dartmoor. Mee thought that it was possible that the owner of Plymouth Zoo, circus entertainer Mary Chipperfield, had instead released the pumas onto the moor. There is nothing I love more than stories of alien big cats. They surface all over the UK and every so often a sighting makes the news. And there is a certain air of romanticism about an owner of these big cats not being able to give them away and thus releasing them into the wilds of the moor. It seems entirely possible that they could survive on the moor in quiet solitude, only being glimpsed every so often by the local people. Scientists may claim that there simply isn't enough prey on the moor to sustain them, but I think that just might be a lack of imagination on the part of scientists. Or maybe they're just dog people. Stories of alien big cats and stories of the beast of Bodmin Moor are one of the paranormal claims that I really think could have at least a grain of truth. And while I love a story of a big cat, and somehow the idea of a large hunter living on the moor brings me a thrill of joy, there are other stories on the moor that are less wishful thinking and are full of pain, violence and sorrow. For 200 years in the wilds of the moors, against the barren landscape, among the stories of creatures and phantoms, Charlotte Dimond has roamed. In 1884, 18-year-old Charlotte Dimond was working at Penhale Farm for a widow named Miss Philippa Peter. 21-year-old Matthew Weeks was also working at the farm. Weeks was a man who seemed to have been disliked by Philippa Peter and her family. He was described as a simpleton. He had a limp and was missing most of his teeth and had a face that was pockmarked. By the very virtue of what he looked like, it seems that Weeks was seen as an outsider. But Charlotte Dimond took a shine to him and the pair were courting. On the 14th of April 1844, Matthew Weeks and Charlotte Dimond went for a walk. Charlotte Dimond was found nine days later with her neck ripped open, lying dead on the moor. Matthew Weeks was arrested and tried for murder. He was hanged at 23 years old, but it is widely believed that Matthew Weeks was innocent. The reason that was given for Charlotte's murder was that Matthew Weeks was jealous of the attention that she was giving a Mr. Thomas Prout. Charlotte was described in the court as a promiscuous girl who would flirt with anyone. This information came from Miss Philippa Peter alone and she failed to mention that Mr. Thomas Prout was in fact her nephew. 
There are many other reasons as to why there is a widely held belief that Matthew Weeks was innocent and the case is well worth investigating. But whatever the truth of the matter is, two people were brutally killed. One on the moors and one in Bodmin Jail. A stone monument was erected on Bodmin Moor to commemorate the life of Charlotte Dimond. The first recorded sighting of her ghost occurred in 1932, some 88 years after her murder. Brown Willie is the name of a large hill on Bodmin Moor and in 1932 one B.C. Spooner wrote that the figure of a woman had been seen on Brown Willie. She appeared to be a young woman who was looking out over the moors, but as people got closer the woman would disappear. Originally, Spooner had written that the ghost had no known origin, and it wasn't until 1949 that Cornish historian William Henry Painter wrote an article dedicated to Charlotte Dimond and the subsequent sightings of her ghost. According to SpookyIsles.com, in his essay he chronicles the story of the old volunteers that had a camp on the moor and of how they had difficulty in keeping sentries posted at night for one had seen the ghost of Charlotte wandering the moor, or of the story of the tourist who went fishing one day and on his return to his hotel commented to the proprietor on the remoteness of the moors, having only seen wandering ponies, sheep and a young solitary girl wandering across the moor, stopping every so often, shading her eyes as though she was looking for someone. And later in the same Spooky Isles article, it is claimed that Workers at the Stannan Clayworks, which is situated near the moor, have seen the ghost of Charlotte, while other witnesses have claimed a meeting with her at twilight at Davistow Graveyard, where she is buried. She is said to have curtsied and whispered, Good evening. On that journey that was taken nearly 200 years ago, people have now reported hearing a strange, unnerving girl's laughter near where Weeks claimed to have left Charlotte and in the same voice says, I don't want you to come any further. Go home. The last legend that we are going to explore today that is associated with Bodmin Moor is that of Jan Tregeagle. It seems that Jan Tregeagle was an actual person who was a local magistrate in Cornwall in the 17th century. Legend says that Tregeagle was a pretty awful man he amassed a great deal of money by all manner of underhanded deeds, including cheating an orphan out of his inheritance. Some tellings of the story say that Tregeagle even murdered his wife and children to make a pact with the devil for more power and wealth. As Tregeagle neared the end of his life, he began to feel remorse for his wicked ways and dealings with the devil. Seeking the help of the clergy, he participated in constant prayer and powerful exorcisms in an attempt to nullify his pact with the devil and escape an eternal afterlife in hell. Initially, it seemed to keep the demons at bay. When he died, Tregeagle was buried in St. Brioch Church near Wadebridge. But in a bizarre turn of events, an important lawsuit was taking place over the ownership of land. In one final attempt to prove their innocence, the defendant summoned Tregeagle's ghost to serve as a witness in the trial, much to the horror of the rest of the court. According to the legend, the gaunt, shadowy figure of Tregeagle began to appear in the witness stand, and according to the legend, 
the judge stayed to hear the evidence from beyond the grave, which went on to prove the defendant's innocence. Once summoned, the priest of Bodmin saw that the ghost of Tregeagle was in some kind of purgatory, and was still in danger of being dragged off to hell. The priest decided that the only way to keep the demons from finding Tregeagle's ghost would be to set him a series of endless and impossible tasks that would keep him busy until Judgment Day when God could decide Tregeagle's ultimate fate. Tregeagle was given a series of monotonous, incompletable tasks, including emptying water from a never-ending pool using a limpet shell with a hole in it and sweeping the sand from a nearby cove. Legend says that on cold, dark winter nights, you can still hear the frustrated wailing and howling of Tregeagle as he labours over his hopeless tasks, waiting, terrified, for Judgment Day. These stories are only the tip of the iceberg when it comes to local Cornish folklore, but we certainly couldn't talk about Bodmin Moor without exploring the mysteries and legends surrounding the Jamaica Inn. You may have heard of the Jamaica Inn from English Lessons at School, or maybe it rings a bell if you have a particular fondness for vintage cinema. The Jamaica Inn was made famous by being the setting of and the inspiration for a novel of the same name written in 1930 by author Daphne du Maurier. This was later turned into a film by Alfred Hitchcock in 1939. Du Maurier was inspired to write her novel after staying in the inn herself, While out horse riding on Bodmin Moor, she got lost in the fog and the growing darkness. Like many travellers before her, she found respite in the Jamaica Inn and later wrote her book to much critical acclaim. Nowadays, the inn is a popular tourist destination. Beautifully and carefully preserved, it has 36 rooms, two on-site museums and two shops. And it also has a lot of ghosts. In 2022, it was rated 14th in a list of the 100 most haunted places in the UK. In 2004, it was featured on the television show Most Haunted. Presenter Derek Akora said that it was one of the spookiest episodes they ever recorded. And it's also been given the official stamp of approval for being a genuine haunted establishment by the British Paranormal Association. So as you can see, there are a lot of ghosts. As a historic coaching inn, it would be strange if people hadn't reported seeing or hearing ghostly horses. It's common for guests and staff alike to hear the sounds of horses' hooves and carriage wheels on the cobbled courtyard of the inn. Strangely enough, people say that it sounds as though the hooves or wheels are moving through gravel, even though the courtyard has been cobbled since the 1950s. A consistent legend among patrons is the reported sighting of Jack, a ghostly male figure who sits quietly at the bar nursing a drink or outside on a stone wall surrounding the inn. Legend supposes that long ago Jack was drinking in the inn when he was summoned by an unknown, mysterious voice to leave his drink and take a walk outside into the dark moorland. He never returned. Later, a man's body, resembling that of Jack, was found murdered on the moors. In 1911, it was said that a strange man who resembled the murdered Jack was spotted sitting outside the inn. He sat blankly, not responding or replying to any greetings or interactions. 
Whilst there are a number of paranormal stories associated with the bar, the cellar and the courtyard, it seems that a lot of the supernatural action occurs in the rooms of the inn. Specifically, the rooms which belonged to the historic part of the building. Rooms 3, 4, 5 and 6 are considered to be the most haunted rooms in the Jamaica Inn. People who have stayed in room 3 have reported seeing a ghostly woman with a crying baby, hearing a baby cry despite no baby staying in the inn at the time, and hearing a woman sobbing hysterically. Some guests have reported feeling a deep, unexplainable sadness while staying in the room. Others have reported seeing the ghost of a young boy standing at the foot of the bed. There have been reports of the sound of scratching being heard from inside the walls and cleaning staff have claimed that they regularly clean small fingerprint marks off the mirror in the room. Some people believe that room 3 is haunted by the ghost of Mary Downing and her son. Downing married the inn's landlord, Thomas Dunn, in 1834 in a bid to make him recognise their illegitimate child. Perhaps it is her, sobbing and miserable, who can be seen and heard within the walls of room 3. Those who have stayed in room 4 report smelling strange, inexplicable smells, hearing muffled voices from inside the room and hearing heavily booted footsteps walk around the room in the middle of the night. There have also been sightings of a man dressed as a highwayman, standing by the side of the bed, watching patrons sleep. In room 5 there is said to be the ghost of a small child, trapped behind the mirror glass. Guests have reported seeing the ghost of a small child looking out and crying. And inside the wardrobe of room 5, you can find a collection of toys and letters left there by guests for Hannah, the ghost of the little girl who haunts the room, perhaps the same child who stays stuck within the mirror. There have been claims that Hannah's toys move around of their own volition. One guest said that they woke up to find the small, wet footprints of a child tracked across the carpet. An elderly couple staying in room 6 reported that all of the furniture in the room started shaking uncontrollably during their stay. Other guests in the room have reported seeing human shadows cast across the floor. More recently, and in more modern parts of the building, staff and guests have reported hearing disembodied voices talking in unknown languages seeing glasses fall off shelves and smash with no apparent cause, and even having their hair pulled. During one of the frequently held ghost hunts, approximately 25 people heard heavy footsteps in an apparently empty corridor above them. When the event's host went upstairs to find the source of the noise, they found that the motion-sensitive lights in the corridor had not turned on, meaning no corporeal presence had entered the corridor. In 2018, CCTV footage from the inn was released to local newspapers, apparently showing real ghostly activity. The footage shows a wall phone falling inexplicably from its base. The event happened eight days before Halloween, at 10 to 11 at night. If you visit the Jamaica Inn today, you can participate in one of their monthly ghost hunts or stay in one of their beautiful rooms, like many travellers before you. In fact, you can stay in one of these famous rooms for a discounted rate, as your room needs to be available for any ghost hunt investigations. I just love an alien big cat story. 
And what better way to start this episode than to have a little chitter chatter about alien big cats that live on Bodmin Moor and look, I know what science says, okay? I've read the documents. I know that science is like, there just isn't enough prey to sustain pumas on, on Bodmin Moor. But I say to that, shut your mouth and let a girl dream, okay? I think basically my love of alien big cats is also delusional in that I think they're just big house cats where I could run up and pet them, have a bit of a roll around with them and that they wouldn't maul me to death, which they absolutely would. And I am convinced that at some point somebody is going to actually find an alien big cat in the countryside of the UK. Now, granted, a a lot of the images of alien big cats are very clearly just big dogs or... (laughs) or domestic house cats and when I look at those pictures and videos I think to myself do you really think that's a big cat or do you know what perspective is it's like that that episode of Father Ted where Ted is showing Dougal the cow and he's like these cows are small and these cows are far away but there are a couple of videos and stuff that are pretty convincing and I think it's unreasonable to underestimate the amount of really rich people who buy big cats thinking that they're going to be able to keep them as pets as some sort of weird power status symbol and then the cats get out or they just let them free because they just can't bloody look after them. I also really love the flippancy of yeah there was a whole lot of pumas like a whole family of them that were meant to be delivered to um, the zoo in Dartmoor but they never arrived so that happened. Was nobody concerned? Did nobody go, do you know that whole family of pumas that were knocking around? Where are they? Or is that just a convenient story to explain why there might be big cats on Bodmin Moor? You know what? As soon as somebody finds a big cat body, let me know. Because I, I am convinced they're out there knocking around in the wild. And I want to be the one to know about it first. And just to say in relation to Charlotte Dimond, I use the word simpleton because that's what that's the language that was used at the time I would never refer to somebody as a simpleton now and it really does seem that Matthew Weeks was hated because he was considered an outsider because he wasn't conventionally attractive and was described as being of lower intelligence than everybody else but him and Charlotte clearly were in a relationship and this bullshit of Miss Phillips saying that Charlotte was a promiscuous girl who would flirt with anybody. Like, shut your mouth, Philippa. Shut your mouth, okay? Just because you think somebody's promiscuous, that is not an excuse for anybody to get murdered. In any world, in any time period. Okay, Philippa, I hope the ghost of you is listening to this because I think you're a massive bitch. And they do say that the ghost of Matthew Weeks is said to haunt Bodmin Jail because he was innocent of his crimes. And there was loads of, there's loads of stuff like the, your man, um, Thomas Prout was Philippa Peter's nephew. He kept antagonizing, um, Matthew Weeks saying, I'm going to take your girl off you and you are not going to be able to go up against me and blah, blah, blah. And they had this ongoing rivalry that seemed to have been prompted by Thomas Prout And it seems as well that Thomas Prout was the one that alerted people to the fact that Charlotte Dimond was missing. Do I believe there was a love triangle? No. Do I believe that Mr. Thomas Prout potentially wanted Charlotte? Couldn't believe that Matthew was the one that managed to nab her and then couldn't cope with not being able to have her? Yeah, that's probably what I believe. It's really interesting that the 
person or the people who claim to have heard her where Matthew Weeks claimed to have left her when the day she was murdered said I don't want you to come any further go home like is that an echo in time of who Charlotte was talking to the murderer I don't want you to come any further go home like maybe it was maybe she was talking to Mr. Prout who approached her and she was like I don't want you any closer to me I want you to go home or maybe she was saying to Matthew I don't want you to come any further with me on this walk you can go home now what is she saying and I do think the moors are like magical wonderful but also bleak and terrifying places and I don't know there must be some sort of magical energy going on up there to keep to keep energy or to some sort of stone tape theory going on that things are being replayed throughout history and I have to say like I love the story of Jan Tregeagle he sounds like an absolute dick Um, it's a very Faustian story this idea of I don't care who I upset but I'm going to sell my soul to the devil to have as much riches in this life as much power and wealth but then when it comes down to it he's like oh shit I'm actually a bit frightened and I don't want to go to hell but if you're conning an orphan out of their inheritance sorry to be the bearer of bad news but uh you don't deserve to be treated very well to be honest and I know that the priests were like trying to save a soul and whatever but this idea of monotonous incompletable tasks like emptying water from a never-ending pool using a limpid shell with a hole in it that pretty much sounds like hell to me to be honest and uh maybe he just has gotten what he deserved. In regards to the Jamaica Inn itself, um, I think the story of Jack is really interesting, this idea of him being lured out into the moorland by a mysterious voice. It sounds very much like being pixie-led or pisky-led, as is said in Devon, in Devon folklore, all about Dartmoor. And if you're a Patreon subscriber, you will have heard the wonderful Tim Cloak talking all about the folklore of Dartmoor. And look... I'm not being funny, but like if there was anywhere that fairies and piskies and pixies were going to live, I'm pretty sure it's going to be places like the Bodmin Moor, for sure. When I spoke to the owners of the Jamaica Inn, now this was last year, so I don't fully remember the stories that they told me, but they did that classic thing where I rang and I was like, this is who I am. I do a paranormal podcast. I'd love to come down and do a vlog, etc, etc. And he was like, absolutely, I'll book you into room six, which is supposed to be the most haunted room. You can do a ghost tour with us or a, a paranormal investigation. We'd love to have you down. And they were really wonderful and lovely. And um, he did that classic thing of, I'm not entirely sure that the place is haunted. But all of these spooky things have happened to me. Like he was talking about how he had been asleep in one of the rooms and the door was opened and somebody ran down the corridor and he went to check who it was. and There was nobody there. And he was like, yeah, this only happened to me like a couple of days ago. So there was obviously constant paranormal activity going on in that place. And it feels like the Jamaica Inn is a bit of a liminal space. You know what I mean? Because you've got this space in the middle of the moor where people are lost. There's lots of criminal activity going on. People might be on the run. People might be hiding. Obviously, you've got your your everyday travellers who are just looking for somewhere to stay. But a lot of energy and a lot of darkness seems to be whipped up around the Jamaica Inn. And when and if I do end up staying there, I will be absolutely sure to make a vlog and let you guys know all about it. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. I apologise for it being slightly late. You might be able to hear in my voice that I am unfortunately not very well. But we got here and we got the episode out. 
Thank you so much for listening. If you would like to send in your story, you can do so by emailing it to reallifeghoststoriespodcast.gmail.com. You can also check out the website reallifeghoststoriespodcast.com. And if you are desperate for some extra spooky content, you can subscribe to the Patreon. That is patreon.com forward slash reallifeghoststories, where for $5 a month or $2 a month, you get access to heaps of extra content, as well as every single main and mini episode completely ad-free. And on that note, I shall see you next time. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.